Welcome to the 26th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me, as always, is Roger Entner. How you doing, Roger? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. So we've done a number of podcasts on the C-band auction. I thought this week we could take a different perspective, uh, so we invited Drew Fitzgerald on the show. Drew covers telecom for the Wall Street Journal. How you doing, Drew? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So C-Band's wrapped up. We've learned who the winning bidders are and who they aren't, notably. What have we learned so far, noting that we're recording this before the analyst days that major carriers are holding later this week? Well, we already know a lot. We know the big winners of almost all of the spectrum are the usual suspects, the wireless companies. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile just hoovered up the vast majority of the roughly $81 billion in licenses that the FCC sold, and cable and DISH basically didn't show up. Well, they showed up. They Well, DISH showed up, and but DISH was very quickly, I think, priced out of that market. The cable guys looked and didn't put a toe in, but DISH certainly tried, and but it certainly got too rich, right? And and so they they won quite a bit in CBRS, and I think they're going to to fit that need where they need to have midband spectrum through that. And I would expect them to be more aggressive in the next auction with uh, three point four five to three point five five, which is just below CBRS and below C band. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point to use a tired kind of analogy for Charlie Ergen, who's played a lot of poker back in the day. They anteed up, but uh, he decided the bets were too rich for his blood. And Cable, I wonder, Roger, if you're surprised at all that Cable did nothing uh, after, uh, or essentially walked away with nothing after uh, this auction wrapped up. I'm, I'm not that surprised, because the CBRS auction did quite well, and it fits their the, the profile of their need, because they're pursuing both a strategy of being a hybrid MVNO and to expand their their cable footprint, right? And CBRS uh, is enough for that. Uh, they don't need a, a the higher powered uh, C band necessarily because they can rely on on Verizon to serve the wide area. And CBRS, what they get is more than enough to cover the high traffic areas where they want to offload then from, from Verizon. And they were, I think, opportunistic, and the opportunity didn't arise because Verizon and AT&T desperately need that spectrum, and T-Mobile bid enough to, to maintain the lead or not let the lead narrow too much. And I think everybody achieved their their object, objectives. So I think we mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, the, the national carriers really spent a lot of money on C-band and, you know, obviously there are financing implications there. What are your guys' thoughts on, you know, how are the carriers going to pay for all this? Well, the carriers are going to do it by borrowing money, which is what they've always done. AT&T and Verizon especially have already gone to banks and borrowed billions of dollars. And I think you're going to hear, you have heard, and we'll hear a lot more of the CFOs of these companies justifying that borrowing by saying, look, 
we have low borrowing costs as telecom companies and interest rates are still lower than they've been in a long time. So we can afford this. And they cleared up the maturities on the shorter end. They don't have to pay for anything in the next five years or so. So that helps dramatically. And they both will say, look, we couldn't have T-Mobile walk away with such a big spectrum gap. Because the big threat is that T-Mobile, as they said, and that what they will do is have a premium network at budget prices. Right. And you can get away with being the number two and premium prices and an okay network. Where where the rubber hits the road is when you have a premium pricing with a budget network. Either your prices come down or your customers will leave. And that's both a situation that neither ATT nor Verizon can afford. Right. You know, and Network quality brings up a point that I'm really focused on, and I think we ought to be hearing a lot more about over the next few months, is even if these companies can afford to borrow enough money to uh, pay for these licenses and pay them off over longer dated maturities, it still leaves the question of after they pay for clearing costs, which adds a few billion uh, a piece for each of their spectrum purchases, how are they going to fund actually building the network that will use this spectrum. That's going to be, I would think, a much higher capital spend, which T-Mobile might look ready to afford, but Verizon and especially AT&T are a little bit constrained there. Yes and no. One of the things that we, we have to recognize is that these networks can use the existing sites that they have already. They don't have to build a new site. They're just adding an antenna to it or can reuse the antennas that are are there. So, for example, you know, in dense urban areas, downtown L.A., Manhattan, you know, downtown Chicago, cell site spacing is already at 200, 300 feet right? And that's for the the, the macro cells. So putting a millimeter wave on top of it, it, it's exactly the same cell site spacing. Put 3.5 on it, same thing, right? So you can use the same towers, the same locations, and add an antenna to it. And with a big driver of this will also be then a virtualized RAN or open RAN where you don't need to have a base station at the bottom of, of the, the facility anymore. Or, you know, in that, in that way, your footprint becomes really light and your cost is not that dramatically. It's not like that they have to build like new towers and everything. They're not going to do that. Well, and even with A-block spectrum, which you know Verizon won the majority of uh, existing CBRS radios, or a lot of existing CBRS radios go up to 4 gigahertz already, right? So that would cover that A-block, which is going to be cleared faster, and, and which you know Verizon, I believe, won about 60% of the A-blocks, and uh, AT&T won about 40% of the A-blocks. So there's definitely, I think, some economies there in terms of radios that have already been deployed. Sure. The companies haven't finished deploying those radios, and that this might be part of their existing capital spend plans, adding new antennas that they would all ordinarily need to do to support CBRS and other spectrum. 
but they haven't deployed all of those. So it's a very narrow uh, needle to thread for some of the engineering teams at these companies. Yeah, well, when if you look at it at, at Verizon, right, for at least three years, every cell site that Verizon touched, they upgraded to CBRS at 3.5. The Verizon engineers needed permission not to add CBRS to that cell site. So a lot of that heavy lift has already been done, at least on the Verizon side, right? But when we look at 3.5 versus 2.5, there's a significant coverage advantage for for T-Mobile that will make it cheaper. The big issue is like, how are they going to get into walls, through walls, into buildings? And the cell site spacing for that will be quite narrow. You know, I remember being an expert witness on cell site cases, and they all involved cell sites in the PCS spectrum band, which is 1.7 to 2.1. And the difference in, in, in the ability to, to make it into the buildings, into the apartments, between 700, 800, 850, and PCS was substantial. And that disadvantage, you know, for, for higher frequency will perpetuate. And the only way you get around it is actually more, either more cell sites or it's an outdoor solution, right? And is T-Mobile prepared to spend what it needs to make up for that relative disadvantage of 2.5 spectrum that it holds a lot of? Well, 2.5 is better than 3.5. It's AT&T and Verizon who are at a disadvantage. And there's probably about a 30%. You probably need 30% more sites between 2.5 and 3.5. It becomes even more of an urban solution and less of a suburban solution in 3.5 than in 2.5. So at 3.5, you probably have like two miles of range. At 2.53-ish, somewhere like that, in best-case scenario. And that's quite a bit. Right, so C-band winners are looking at what looks like some fairly significant build-out to, to fully kind of extend the network uh, yeah. with that spectrum if they choose to use it for that. Right. Yeah, so. how dense and do you want to have an indoor solution or not? And how reliable do you want your indoor solution? And you can get around it with antennas in the home, at the window, and things like that. It's tough to negotiate with physics. And that's, by the way, a little bit of that background to dish FCC filing recently, asking for the power limits to be raised, especially in 3.45 to uh, 3.55. Too many fives. We need a new name for that 3.45 that's as catchy yeah. as C-band because it's uh, going to get a little old fast. Yes. For the numbers. Yeah. So the idea here is that DISH filed a petition so that they can increase, increase their transmit power and therefore increase the, the distance that the signal travels, basically be able to leverage their spectrum more effectively, correct? Yeah, exactly. So C-band sits in a, uh, right around that international roaming band where we see a lot of European and as well as Asian networks 
also building out. What can we learn about the C-band auction in terms of the value of, of that spectrum elsewhere in the world, and as well as build-out plans relative to that spectrum? Well, I'll say, Roger, you can speak a lot more to the value of this in other countries and how much has already been deployed. But I, I think it's worth mentioning that this auction fetched such high bids, not just because it's already a spectrum band that is iPhones and other handsets are ready to use day one around the world, but there was a lot of pent-up demand from Verizon and AT&T that wanted, that these companies that wanted to beef up their mid-range spectrum holdings anywhere that they could. But also the fact that this auction sold off so much spectrum, almost 300 megahertz of wireless spectrum to these companies that have said, Verizon especially has said that they really would love to have 100 megahertz of uninterrupted spectrum to really take advantage of the full power of 5G specifications. So I think all those factors, not just the international piece, are what drove up the prices in this auction. Yeah, it's really, you know, opportunity and ability came together, you know, and and the, the stars aligned with an extremely low interest rate, and that really puffed up prices. From an international perspective, yes, the, the Europeans and the the you know Chinese and Koreans and Japanese, they all are deploying in that area. And that makes it the roaming band of choice. It allows then Americans to travel overseas and utilize that band when they travel and vice versa when, when these travelers come here and they can then enjoy the same fast downloads. And from a device perspective, you don't have to add another piece of magnetic into it, which just creates the more more of a footprint in the device and more more power usage and all of these things. So it's nice that we kind of harmonized through the back door here from a global perspective uh, on that band, and that's 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 positive. So do we think that the investment in C-band is going to carry forward into future auctions? I know there's 108 is, has just been announced or is coming up sometime in, in 21. Do we think that this is a one-off in terms of the spending, or do we think that this is a trend that we're continuing to see as 5G builds out? Well, there are a lot of estimates out there, but first of all, 3.45, there's relatively less spectrum, 100 megahertz instead of approaching 300 being offered. So that would be less of an aggregate check that's going to be written from all of those companies. But on the other hand, 3.45 is going to be ready to deploy much sooner than a lot of the C-band spectrum. So I, I can see that driving up the cost per megahertz that some of these companies spend. What do you think, Roger? Yeah, the time to market helps. What doesn't help is that you know, whoever wins the spectrum has to share with the Department of of Defense. And I did a couple of weeks ago uh, an analysis of what drives the value of, of spectrum and exclusive, cleared usage, you don't have to share with anybody, is certainly driving value. And the more restrictions that are on a spectrum and the more pesky former landlords that are sticking around, the lower the price goes. And, you know, th that can be sometimes two-thirds of the value. So on a 
per megahertz pop basis. And yes, the, the C-band auction, certainly the prices pop because 300 megahertz got, got spent. But on a per megahertz pop basis, AWS3 auction is still the most valuable license. Just a lot less spectrum got, got sold, right? But value-wise, I, I, would, I would expect value-wise to be somewhere between C-band and 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 CBRS for for the lower the 3.45 band. All right, well I think that's a good place to stop. Drew, thanks for coming on and thanks Roger. Thank you and thank you for for coming on the show. Drew, really appreciate it. Glad to. Thanks for having me.